Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Crazy old man in his own attic, episode 72. Wilbon, let's start today with how the NBA is going to look as it restarts. Okay, there will be eight regular season games played and the possibility of a play-in game. There will be 22 teams. The Athletic is reporting that if the ninth seed is more than four games behind the eighth seed, that's it. The eighth seed is in. But if you're within that margin of four games, then eight and nine will play off. It will be a single elimination for nine, lose once you're out, double elimination for eight. Do you like this? No. No. I know it's sort of a plan. I get it. I No. I, I just think that, 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 that familiarity should be served in this case with the NBA playoffs or whatever's left of the season. <clears throat> I know there are some players and some coaches and some teams that want regular season games, and there are some that don't. And, Tony, like I said yesterday, this has to do with money. And I am not going to sit here and say that people should not be concerned about hundreds of millions of dollars. That would just be completely disingenuous on my part. So I understand what the league is doing. Do I like it? I don't like this particular part of it. It's just all too confusing to me. You shouldn't have anything confusing as you resume this season. To me, you should look at what you've got, what's tried and true. And this year, above all others, you should start with that and roll with that. But again, when hundreds of millions of dollars are at stake, I got to say, Tone, I, I, I can understand that. I like you using the word confusing. Because it is confusing and it is complicated. And you need a degree in playoffology to understand this. And I'm a lowly English major, so I'm having trouble with it. I will tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to root for Orlando to get in in the East. You know, they're five and a half ahead of the Wizards right now. And I'm going to root for Memphis to get in in the West. They are three and a half, so they're within the border now of Portland, New Orleans, and Sacramento. And here's my big problem with these eight games remaining. Like, I don't know what the schedule is. What if you're right. Memphis and you draw the Clippers and the Lakers and Milwaukee and Toronto? And what if you're New Orleans because you have Zion Williams and you draw Phoenix four times? It's going to look like the NBA has tilted the playing field. I think the most important thing, Mike, is that you have a sense that there's an equality here. And, and I'm just not sure at the moment. Yeah, and that doesn't even bother me as much. I'm not going to dispute what you said. I totally understand what you're saying. By the way, last I checked, that attic is in a house that is squarely in Washington, D.C. And you just said, I'm hoping the Wizards don't catch Orlando with those eight regular season games that are now provided? They don't deserve it. They're five and a half back right now, and they actually don't deserve it. And there's a gerrymandering going on that is troublesome to me, as are the 22 teams. And so the reason that's yeah. troubling to me is nine are from one conference and 13 from the other. I don't I don't get that. Yeah. So I think that speaks, Tony, to what I said about not everybody wants to even play these games. <laughs> I don't know how the breakdown is. And I don't know if you're going to have team officials speaking out, say, hey, you know, when the world tilts in the right direction, we're going to Cabo. We can't be bothered. I, I don't know. And it may really depend on what teams feel they need that money need as opposed to just you know richer teams that would be okay with it 
But, Tony, we're going to stay with the NBA. I'm going to go to the glasses. Dave McMenamin is reporting that several of the teams that would have had home court advantage in a normal season are discussing ways they could get some sort of home court advantage in the neutral site reality of that Orlando bubble. Now, some of the suggestions are seven fouls, Tony, seven fouls for a designated player on the team with a better record, an extra coach's challenge for the home team, and even bringing a team's actual hardwood floor to Orlando to make the game feel like a home game, or at least more so. Tone, should the NBA preserve some semblance of home court advantage that teams have earned through the 75% of the season completed? This strikes me as very whiny. There is no home court. Nobody has a home court. You're all playing on the same court. There are no fans. It's a television show. There's a different reality to this year. Most of the suggestions to me are stupid. An extra foul, because if you're the coach in Milwaukee, you say, oh, give Giannis. Let him have seven so he can play every single second all the time. You know, more challenges, more possessions. The only the one floor? that How actually... about the home floor? The well, that would, baby. I'm going to tell you, that that's the only one that makes sense to me, that you can bring your floor in for one and two and six and seven, but does the other team get to bring in its home floor for three, four, five, or is it forced yeah. to play on a floor with the mouse? A big picture of the mouse. <laughs> I mean, that's what well, I don't know. I think there's I don't I haven't heard of a two three two, which you just set up a two three two going back a few years. But whether it's you know, whether yeah. you get it for one, two, five and seven, whatever I love the home court. You bring your floor in. Yes. I mean come yeah, on. I like that. If if the if, if the Celtics should bring in the the parquet, whatever the modified parquet, whatever they're playing on now, I like that. I'm not even opposed, Tony, like you are. I'm not opposed to the other gimmicks. They're small gimmicks. They seem not to matter all that much. I'm even okay with the seventh foul. It's okay. You get an advantage that night, and the other team gets an advantage when it's their home game. I'm okay with that. No, I'm not, you know, no. That's, it's, it's odd because it's you gimmicky. are Mr. Anti-Gimmick. Yeah. And, and, and these yeah. are gimmicks. The best suggestion I heard, the suggestion that was tremendous, was that they would rank the teams 1 through 16, and the higher seed would get to pick the hotel it stayed at. So that if you ended up <laughs> as the number 16 team, you would have to basically sleep on the rides that night because there would be no <laughs> hotel for you. This is thrilling. I love this idea. I do. Let us move to another story, <laughs> significant story involving Drew Brees, who is a Hall of Fame-bound quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Um, he has reiterated his position on kneeling, and he is against it during the national anthem. He told Yahoo, quote, I would never agree with anyone disrespecting the flag, unquote. Now, Breeze agrees with the aims of the social and political protest, but he disagrees with this particular methodology. Michael Thomas, the great wide receiver of New Orleans Saints, Breeze's number one target tweeted, quote, he don't know no better. We don't care if you don't agree and whoever else. How about that? Unquote. Wilbon, does this sound like a potential problem on the Saints? Well, Tony, I don't know. People have differences of opinion. People don't march in lockstep at all. And when I, when I hear this from Drew Brees and I hear about, you know, talked about his grandfather's being in, you know, serving the country and and and. That bristles a lot of us. That bristles a lot of black folks. Let me just say this. Drew Brees has been, as far as I'm concerned, on the right side 
in my opinion, of like every issue that's come down the pike over the years, always. So I am not a, a anti, I'm very much a pro Drew Brees guy. But when I hear this stuff about my ancestors served in the war, you ain't got the only ancestors, dude, who were in the war. I mean, I got uncles who fought at D-Day and the Battle of the Bulge. And they, and the GI Bill failed them. Like it failed tens, if not hundreds of thousands of black soldiers, servicemen and women, when they returned to this country and were lied to about what they were going to be guaranteed as Americans who served in wars. So just because somebody served in a war doesn't mean that you are obliged to have his view of the national anthem and the playing of it. And I am someone who stands for the anthem. But let me tell you this, Tony. I, I have a completely different view now. If 50 guys, if 25 guys decide to kneel this year, given what we are seeing in this country right now, and you can disagree with Drew Brees, and Drew Brees is going to have some teammates that disagree with him, but he doesn't get the only word on this. Like everything else, people have to understand, your view and my view may be different, and it doesn't make your view the right one. So... I have said this for many years, as you know. The NFL wraps itself so tightly in the flag that it basically can't move. It is a constitutionally guaranteed right to protest. You take a knee. You're allowed to do that. It's also a constitutionally guaranteed right to have an opinion and not fear that your opinion, you're going to be made fun of to such a degree that you cannot have this opinion. It works both ways. A football team, a, a locker room, they've got, and I wrote all of these things down. Okay, you have different races, you have different faiths, you have different hobbies, different schools, different physical sizes and different positions. It has always struck me that the best teams leave their differences inside the locker room when they go on the field. They're a great team. Drew Brees is a great quarterback. Michael Thomas is a great wide receiver. I would like to think that they could work this out. You used a word before that's meaningful to me. Lockstep. There is there's right now there's this notion in the country that everybody has to look at every single word that everybody else says and somehow be in agreement. And it worries me that we're going to get involved in something like the thought police. But I do think that Drew Brees has to deal with his teammates on this, and his teammates have to deal with him, because they've been an exceptionally close team for a long time. Brees said, I love and he said, he followed up with what he said, I love and respect my teammates. I also respect my grandparents. I understand what you're talking about. My dad served in World War II. I mean, we've all got somebody who served the country. And many of these people have people on police forces in their own families. It gets very complicated. And in that locker room, they're going to have to air this out. They are. Because it feels a little bit Tony. We can't talk about this without acknowledging the Vic Fangio story from today. As he told the media yesterday, there's no racism and discrimination in the NFL. Well, the reaction blew back on him so forcefully that he walked it back and said, I was, quote, I was wrong. And I just thought Fangio was somewhere between naive and oblivious. And a lot of other people did, too. It didn't mean to me for a second that he was a bigot or he'd said anything that was racist. It didn't mean that at all. But I heard and just thought. Fangio's not seeing what everybody else sees. And people on this network, Dominique Foxworth spoke, spoke very eloquently and forcefully to this. But, but Tony, this issue is bigger, is bigger than Drew Brees, is bigger than Fangio. People are going to have to talk, have uncomfortable conversations, and come to some 
compromise. Oh, my God. There's a word we haven't talked about in, 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 in the last few days. Compromise. And I don't know where it starts. So this, this, is, to, this I, is what we were talking about. conversations. This, right. This is what we talked about the other day. Was there any sense that it was hopeful? Was there any sense that they, if you had this public dialogue, it would be hopeful? But dialogue is an important word. You have to talk to me about what I believe, and I have to talk to you about what you believe and see if we can find that common ground. If you start now with these comments, they seem inflammatory. They may not be meant that way, but they seem that way. So you've got to be prepared, in essence, to put your arms around this issue and your arms around the people that you disagree with. And that would seem to me the only way there'd be progress, as opposed to yelling at everybody. Right. Right. Yes, Tony. And but this not only is this not over for people who are saying, oh, my God, why are they talking about this again? Because this is what we're going to talk about, because we're not going to talk about the Bundesliga every day. We're going to talk about what happens here in this country and NFL locker rooms can be a cauldron. I mean, and, and by the way. All these locker rooms are further along toward the the, the harmony that we hope for than most workplaces. I would I would venture to say that that's locker right. rooms, that's and right. that's what Fangio, I know the point he was trying to make, it was clumsy, and he had to walk it back. Well, we're going to talk about sports for a minute now. Ken Rosenthal is reporting that the baseball owners officially have rejected, Tone, the players' proposal of a 114-game season today, which makes the prospect of a 50-game season a little more realistic Dan Wetzel of Yahoo writes today that while some consider the 50-game season a farce, he thinks it could also be very fun and exciting. Tone, farce or fun, where do you come down on a 50-game season possible? So yesterday I sat here and I said that a 50-game season did not feel like baseball. And I thought about it a little more, and I, I, I think 50 is a low amount for a number, but I will say this. If you start, say, August 1st, and you play every single day, every day, till the end of September, in that sort of sprint, it might feel a little bit more like baseball to me because of the daily quality of it. But I will also say this. GMs build teams for 162 games. 50 or 60 is not 162. They accept losing 55 or 60 games a year and still getting into the playoffs. You can't start out this year like the Nationals did last year. You go 19 and 31 in the first 50, there ain't no next 50. Okay, you're out of it. So you, you've you got to start quick. I, I think it could be exciting, but maybe that's just because I want to see baseball. Yeah, even an 80-game season could be exciting because that would seem like a sprint when it's half a season. I mean, we saw this in the NBA some years ago where a 50-game season replaced a 82-game season, and that seemed like a sprint. So, yeah, Tony, I think it can be both. I, I don't want to call it a farce because it's sort of being forced on the sports. It's some sort of shortened season, whether it's 50, 60, or even still 80. It's not going to be 100-plus. So I think it can be fun. I think there will be a, a urgency about the baseball season. It will not meander. And part of the charm of baseball is that normally it does meander. And you sort of just have a rhyme and a rhythm to each sport has its own. You know, I always object to people who say, you know, basketball should go to, you know, single elimination. No, no, football has that. It's football's culture. Basketball has its own. Baseball has its own. So I, I think it can be fun. I hope it's fun. We need some fun. So the, the football part of it is interesting because college football, every game counts. 
I think this is, would be more like the NFL, where you just can lose enough games that all you want to do really is make the tournament. I remember a Tigers team, I think it was in the 80s, that started out like 35-5. and five. You yeah. get a team like, see, everybody's in this, Mike. If it's 50, everybody's in it for the first 35 or 40. Everybody. So if you start out really hot, you can, you know, it's like winning the Kentucky Derby by going first. You know, you're in the, you're in the lead and everybody's got to catch you. I, I think it could, it's not what I'm hoping for. I, I, I don't want 50, but it, I but think you I know can live it could with be it. fun. It could be. Yes. 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 Sage and Kevin. Maybe we'll come back and have some more fun, but for now, we'll throw it back to you. Though we're apart these days, we're sharing more. So, at Geico, we'd like to say thanks. Thanks for sharing your savage dance moves. Thanks for sharing your DIY haircut fails. Thanks for sharing your inner lip sync star. Now, it's our turn to share with the Geico Give Back, a 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies for current and new customers. Because we're committed for the long haul, the 15% credit lasts your full policy term. Visit geico.com slash giveback for more info and eligibility. It could be a routine drive to pick up the kids after school or an epic road trip across the country. No matter where your travels take you, we know those miles count. We're Marathon. We have over 5,700 stations across our great nation. Our people are working hard every day to provide you with quality top-tier gasoline to improve engine performance and fuel your life. Marathon, fueling the American spirit. Here come the happies. Happy 77th birthday, Billy Cunningham. Although he was voted one of the 50 greatest NBA players of all time, Billy Cunningham seems to be living in the land of the forgotten. So it's time for a history lesson, kids. Cunningham was an all-city player at Brooklyn's Erasmus Hall High School, which also gave us a couple of marginal singers. I like to call them Neil Diamond and Barbara Streisand. He played college ball at North Carolina, where they called him the kangaroo kid because he could jump out of the gym. He was the sixth man on the NBA champion Philadelphia 76ers in 1967, one of the greatest teams of all time. And then just for kicks, he jumped to the ABA's Carolina Cougars, where he was the league MVP in 1973. And then he jumped back to the Sixers, where his career numbers were 21 and 10. Shortly after he retired in 1976, he was named coach of the Sixers and won the NBA title in 1983, the Fo 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 team with Julius Irving and Moses Malone. Cunningham has the third highest winning percentage of any coach ever. And oh yeah, they retired his number 32. Tony, when you heard the movie title, White Men Can't Jump, I don't know who the first player you thought of, but I, as a, you know, thought of as a kid watching Billy Cunningham, and I thought of Rex Chapman, and I thought of Bobby Jones, and Tom Chambers, and I'm probably leaving somebody out, but that's pretty reflective, but, but Billy Cunningham, the anchor of that group, right? If you're gonna talk about that theme in basketball. Kangaroo Kid. You don't get a nickname like that if you can't jump. Happy anniversary, Nolan Ryan. On this day 31 years ago, Ryan pitched his 11th career one-hitter, striking out 11 as Texas beat Seattle 6-1. It was Ryan's 16th low-hit game, which is defined as a no-hitter or a one-hitter, breaking the record of 15 of another fireballing right-hander, Bob Feller. There were so many games when Ryan was from another planet. He has the most no-hitters, 7. He's tied with Feller for the most one-hitters, 12. He has the most two-hitters, 18, and the most three-hitters, 31. 
So if any dope tells you that there are pitchers out there who are harder to hit than Nolan Ryan, show him these numbers. The comparable athlete is Jack Nicklaus, who finished first in 18 majors, finished second in 19 more, both records. Lynn Nolan Ryan has thrown a no-hitter or a one-hitter 19 times. And on a personal note, I once did a story on Ryan for Inside Sports Magazine, which you can see over my shoulder, and he gave me his Astros warm-up, the one with the yellow, red, and orange horizontal stripes, and I still have it. Here it is. It's a treasure. Look at that. I know how much you love Nolan Ryan and treasure that jersey. I'm just going to say this to you. For a six-year period, I'm taking Sandy Koufax, all right? I'm taking Sandy I, I agree with everything you said about Nolan Ryan and his dominance over time. But if I can have Sandy Koufax between whatever it was, 1960 and 1966, I'm taking him first. Oh, believe me, in my household, they take Sandy Koufax first no matter what. A melancholy trails to Johnny Majors, the great running back and coach at Tennessee and the coach of the undefeated 1976 Tony Dorsett-led national champion Pitt Panthers died this morning at age 85. Majors left Pitt for his alma mater in 1977 and compiled a 116-62-8 record that included three SEC championships. Because he was named National Coach of the Year three times, Majors is better known as a coach than a player. But pay attention here. He played high school ball for his father, Shirley, in Tennessee. They went 1-9 in Johnny's freshman year. After that, they won 70 of 71 with Johnny and or his three brothers on those teams. At Tennessee, Majors was named SEC Player of the Year in 1955 and 1956. Majors finished second to the great running back Paul Horning for the 1956 Heisman Trophy. Tommy McDonald, the great wide receiver, finished third. Jerry Tubbs, the great offensive lineman, finished fourth. And Jim Brown, simply the greatest football player of all time, finished fifth. How is that for a top five? All five in the College Football Hall of Fame, Wilbon, and three in Canton, same year. That's called being great in a time of greatness. And, you know, you think of people, particularly in college sports, Tony, who live and die with that school and those people. And, of course, I know you thought of Frankie Nation today as I did. We sit next to him for the last 19 years. And everything Tennessee, Frankie Nation is our dear co-worker and friend. And so I thought of him today. And Johnny Major is a major, major, major figure in college football history, both as a player and a coach. And with that, we're going to send it back to Bristol, Sage and Kevin.